Strength is a term we use every day in our industry and is defined as the ability to exert enough force in order to overcome resistance. In this episode, we're going to completely uncover the full force of strength training, what it means to be strong and how we can help our clients achieve strength that is more specific to them. To do this, we've been joined by someone who has a keen interest as well as tons of professional and personal experience working in the area of strength and conditioning with both athletes and a PT client base. Welcome to the Fit Pro podcast, Stu Gatherum. So Stu, tell us yes, a bit sir. more about yourself, mate. Tell us um, what you're about the kind of sports and the types of clients that you may have worked with. And also, why not give us a sneaky peek into your own personal strength and conditioning goals? Cool. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, first, thanks for having me. Um, it's it's a, a pleasure to be on. Um, and yeah, I guess in terms of my background, um, I've been in the fitness industry for about around 20 years. Uh, and in that time, my sort of early focus was around uh, the area of SNC. I was really keen to work with athletic populations. Um, and it was only kind of when I, I moved to Canada for a period of time that I did um, the NSCA's CSCS qualification. And I absolutely fell in love with that area. And, and um, <clears throat> the area meaning, you know, Toronto, but also the area of strength and conditioning. Right. Um, so for, for me, I was always really keen. I was I was there because I was interested in North American sports. I play basketball. Um, I'm five foot nine, um, so it's not a sport that kind of scree screams, you know, five foot nine. But it's um, something that I obviously needed to be athletic, reasonably athletic to to do well in. Um, and I've done pretty well um, in in the sport. So it was part professional part personal for me um I was really keen to increase things like jump height I knew that if I was going to play at a decent level I needed to be pretty quick um laterally as well as you know with the ball and, and so on um and it, it sort of spilled over into my professional life so I was working already as a PT yeah. and that area of, of uh, I guess attention to detail really excited me um, so I felt like if I had a weight loss client, for argument's sake, there's so many avenues that I could explore um, that would all yield some results. And I quite like the small margins you could get from athletic training. So um, yeah. going into to that area was really exciting for me. So the, the industry's um, grown massively and I've had a number of opportunities. I've worked with um, a Commonwealth champion boxer. Mm -hmm. um, who won his, his belt that and the Irish title um, in our first three fights together, which was amazing. A great experience um, to follow him around was, was, was brilliant. Um, and some of the events, things like York Hall, uh, we, we, we had a fight at York Hall, which was amazing. Like you can feel the history when you walk in there. Um, I've worked with um, a professional MMA fighter um, who went from amateur to pro while we were working together. And that was really interesting. He's fought on Cage Warriors. Um, okay. So that was, you know, I guess best known for, for, for kind of being a farming system for the UFC with people like Conor McGregor and so on. Um, yeah. it, I wasn't working with Conor, um, just <laughs> FYI. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I guess the most uh, intimately, I guess I'd worked with somebody in, in sports would be in football. Um, and I've worked with um, a player who was, was the captain of the club that I'm, is, is Swindon. That's where I live. 
and uh, and he moved on. He he's played four times at Wembley. Um, scored at Wembley. Um, he's uh, won the Checker Trade Trophy with Portsmouth. Uh, he now plays for Peterborough. Um, and I've worked with him and, and his brother, who um, has has, uh, has, been, has gone all the way to, to Norwich. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a really diverse uh, group, um, but something that, that I wouldn't trade. I absolutely love it. And, and they all require very different things. And that, for mm. me, is... To be honest, a real challenge of of this era, of this uh, uh, area of the industry, and that's to me that was that's what got, got me excited to work with athletes in the first place. So that's a bit of a background of me um, and my my interests. Um, I'm 37 and I still play competitive basketball, so I need now more than ever to be on top of my my SNC, um, yeah, which right. which I, I am. Um, and I, I always enjoy, really enjoy the preseason um, because it gets me kind of lasered in on what I need to do um, going forward. And I, I love that. I love playing in a team with, you know, 20 and 25 year olds and, and trying to set the pace, you know, I think it's a real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So in order to do that, you've not only got to be quick, you've got to have endurance, but you've got to be strong as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So 100%. what does, you know, we're, we're really going to dive into the, uh, I guess within <laughs> strength and conditioning, we're going to be focusing on strength and, and yep. what strength is. So what does strength mean to you, Stu? Um, I think there's the book definition that, that you kind of went through um, at the, the intro, which would be the ability to maximally overcome force. Um, so that would be, you know, I guess would be, be displayed in a one rep max. Sure. But that shows us, you know, the physical weight you can lift or load you could lift from the floor or, you know, above head or whatever with a bar. Um, but to me, I think this application is very specific to, to the sport and environment. So for me, it's being able to overcome the forces that you are going to come up against within your field. Um, so if we look at my field uh, in terms of basketball, yeah. I'm likely to have to hold people back um things like rebounding and so on um i also need to be able to to withstand a certain amount of force if i drive to the basket being smaller um you know you're going to get hit by bigger guys you have to withstand that so there's a certain element of of overlapping in terms of impact and so on but it's certainly um you'll get targeted and pushed around in sports if you're not if you're not strong um yeah. i look at boxing um, the strength would be, you know, the, the application strength is is uh, not necessarily punches. It's absorbing body weight. Um, the boxer that I worked with was a cruiserweight. Yeah. So he's a big guy. Um, and he would be leaned on, you know, by other yeah. big guys. And to be holding someone else who's 100 kilos while you're trying to physically move is really hard work. So that's yep. the application of his strength. So it's very, very different depending on what the uh what the environment's going to be i guess absolutely i think i think that's a great start is that uh, you know we always when we go to the gym especially with our pt clients is that we express that kind of strength as the one rep max or the mm. five rep max uh, or sometimes we even lose and bleed that into other areas i guess as well and bleed yeah. it into endurance and potentially there's a strength endurance element there and I think what you've got to what the point that you've just got to there is that it's it's got to be specific for the individual. 
Absolutely. And in, in this is this sort of again goes into the strength and conditioning area and mm. the the client's weight training area. We can show progression with a client by saying, listen, six weeks ago you were lifting a 60 kilo for four. You know, now you're doing a 70 kilo deadlift for four. You've gone. We can't argue that fact. Um, because physically they are showing an application of strength and they're showing an expression of strength by lifting four reps, which we know is strength-based. Um, and they're doing it with a compound lift. So we know that that is strength-based and um, they have, they've lifted heavier weights. Now I could take that box or I take my footballer and say, yeah, you physically got stronger in the gym, but they don't perform as well for whatever reason. So does it apply? Does it, does it work? Um, and those are the elements that, you know, that we have to consider, I guess, in terms of the differences. Like I said before, there's loads of ways to achieve a goal in the gym, um, which may be aesthetic or it may be weight loss or it may be muscle gain or whatever. But application of strength is a little bit different, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're going to uncover some of that today, right? When we when we start talking yes. about schemes and, and positions and all that sort of stuff. So we'll we'll hold on to that thought. So do you, do you feel there is a, is a big difference when you're trying to approach strength training with athletes and versus us kind of mere mortals in life? Um, and, and I really I guess what I'm trying to get out is like what what, you know, it's more of a psychological difference as much as a physical difference right and i guess we have to really uncover what our particularly when we're talking to mere mortals when they say to us we want to get stronger we have to really truly <laughs> uncover yeah. right what does that actually yeah. mean so i guess you know what what is the difference between working with athletes versus life type clients and what questions should we be asking okay so this is do you know what this is something that um with my day-to-day, -day, I run vocational courses, right? So um, we we teach trainers how to be better trainers or to be trainers in the first place. And often, this questions will be very similar to what a first-time PT client will go through on consultation with you. Um, so for me, first, we have to think, um, where is the client on their journey? So this is a question we should be asking straight away. So client comes to you and says, I want to get stronger. I don't kind of go rub my hands together and immediately start dusting off, you know, the, the hack squat um, or the, the hex bar and the knee wraps and the chalk, right? I've got to think, where are they first off? And what does strength mean to them? So what do you mean, client, by strength? Do you mean you want to physically lift loads of mass off the floor in deadlifts, bench press, squats, whatever you're going into being a power lifter? Or are you looking at just are you are you saying to me you'd like to start doing some weight training some resistance training because sometimes it's as simple as that strength can often mean uh i really struggled with um whatever picking up the kids they're getting bigger and heavier or it could be i struggled with the garden work because you know there's a lot more now the big, I've, I've moved house i've got a bigger garden i'm tired so i need to do i need to be stronger quote right so it's looking at um what the client actually means by that uh, because we could quite easily go the purest view and think, brilliant, we're training someone for a powerlifting competition. Um, yeah. Let's start thinking about the periodization we need. And it's easy for us to get carried away with that. So yeah. early on, it's, it's translating almost what the client's saying to you um, in terms of what they actually want to do. Um, and when it comes to the difference in terms of training, I know we're going to get into this in training schemes, but I think we need to think about lots of different aspects. If they are saying, right, 
I want to go on to um, strength training. I want to actually progress and, and I do want to get stronger. I want to start lifting more weight and so on. Then early on, we take a very simplistic uh, periodization approach to it and go, where are you right now? If you're brand new, we have to start with some sort of endurance-based training um, yeah. before we get ahead of ourselves. Things like connective tissue strength, tendon strength, um, neuromuscular stimulation, coordination is not going to be there, um, particularly early on. So it's important for us to, to, to honor all the steps before we get there. So, yeah. you know, you're probably going to be with me for six months or four months or whatever, before we really are ready to start going twos and three reps, you know, that's how I would look at it. Um, and that's something again, that, that I always try and urge students to consider mm. when they come onto our PT courses is, you know, we can easily get ahead of ourselves. We can easily start putting our ideas and philosophies onto our clients, putting words in their mouth. Um, so let's think about what they're asking us and really ask those secondary questions on consultation. Like, yeah. okay, Aaron, what do you mean by that? Let's, let's explore, explore and unpack that a little bit before I start giving you my thoughts. That's, that'll be a good piece of advice. I think. I, I think it's great. I, I had the conversation this morning with a client, the, a client okay. this morning, we, I, I spoke to him saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be speaking to Stu on a podcast after seeing you. And he was like, oh, what's it on? I sort of said strength. And, I, and we, we had then had the conversation that you're having right now is that so, so, and I said to this client, so, you know, you were, we talk about you being stronger and you wanting to get stronger. Kind of tell me why, let's have this conversation again. Why do you want to be stronger? And he sort of said, well, because when I get back into the gym, he's training online at the moment. And when I okay. get back into the gym, I want to be able to kind of like, you know, make sure I'm still performing well in the gym. And I was like, but why do you want to perform well in the gym? And he kind of got himself stuck in a bit of a circle of, mm. I want to be stronger because I want to then lift more in the gym. And I want to lift more in the gym because I want to be stronger. And he kind of got stuck on the carousel. And yeah. it was like, okay, mate, how are we going to get you off the carousel? <laughs> yeah. Answer me like the true question is, why do you want to be stronger? And it's because he wanted to look stronger. And then okay. what that comes down to is, okay, so do you want, you want to look more defined or do you want to kind of look bigger or, and, and then it was, okay, well, a little bit of both and it's okay. And then we're having a conversation of, right, I understand your definition now of strength. Yes. Yes. And your, his it's definition so might true. not, might not match the scheme that I'm currently setting him. And that's a really good conversation to have at any point and to rehab that conversation with your clients as well. Yeah, their goals change and they'll change overnight. And it'll be, I, I saw, fill in the blank, it could be, I, I watched um, uh, Casino Royale, right, the other day. And Daniel Craig wandered out of the water and I thought, you know what, that's what I want to look like. And yeah. for that reason, I want to be stronger. And is that the right word? Is it the right word to use? It's probably not. He's probably stronger than you, right? But yeah. he's is the, is the end goal aesthetic or is it not? And it doesn't mean strength training can't play a part in that. Of course it can. But is it strength for strength's sake? Is it strength for aesthetic's sake? Is it strength for performance sake? Yes. And what is the application of your performance? Um, because realistically, I mean, there's, there's, I've seen, again, being in basketball, how many seven foot plus people you see who are super skinny and probably can't do a bodyweight deadlift and yet they're dominating games because of other reasons. So do, yeah. if they were stronger, physically stronger and could lift more weight, would they be better quite possibly? Um, 
is it necessary? Maybe it's not. And it's, it's knowing what the outcome is, is that you want to get from it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think more, it's easier sometimes with athletes because they are more in tune with the definitions. They've, been, yes. they've grown up and they've had the education and understanding kind of yeah. uh, uh, bought in and layered in throughout their experience most of the time, right? Most, most of yeah, the most of the time. Um, and I think it's with our kind of more lifestyle orientated clients that we need to be more specific and almost let, allow them to drop the ego as well. Because what he really didn't want to say to me being another guy is I want bigger arms. Yeah. Right. There's a yeah. bit of an ego thing and you need to, you need to create an environment where they feel comfortable enough to drop that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, we've all got, we've all, it doesn't yeah. matter who you are. You know, you could be, you could be Daniel Craig. I'm sure he's got stuff that he kind of goes, Oh, kind of would like to work on this or work on that. I'm sure everybody has. Um, mm. I think that's part of being a human being, but it's, um, it's knowing, it's knowing why you're doing certain things. And I'm, I'm sure, I mean, if we look at someone who would be the apps, one of the absolute pinnacles of strength would be someone like Eddie Hall, yeah. um, you know, and for his sport at the time, was a six pack necessary or was it possibly detrimental um, to him if he was too lean and wouldn't have the energy reserves? There's a scale there. And I'm sure, would he yeah. love to have a six pack all the time? I'm sure he would, but is it detrimental to his sport? It poss possibly, who knows? There's, there there yeah. are people that have, you know, very low body fat and compete in these competitions are an unbelievable like uh, athletes, but it, so yes. a lot of it's, do you know what I mean? It's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a weird area. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, how do we test strength, Stu? How do we test it? What can we well, do? Typically, it'd be, it, the easiest way would be doing a rep max test. That would be your simplest route to getting the absolute values of the strength that you currently have. Um, it's difficult to do, I guess, in the field. I said earlier about like, the boxer. It, you know, do I just have someone hang on him for a period of time? That's is yeah, that's very sport specific. But does it tell me a lot of data? It doesn't really. So can I do it another way? So rep rep testing would be the best. Um, this again, there's a bit of an area now. I think between like if you're looking at strength, you're looking at one to six reps. So hmm. if you've got someone who's who's fairly new to strength testing, I'd go on the higher end of that scale because there's less risk and more reward um yep. you know if you if you consider every multiple rep you're doing from one carries less risk right so one being the absolute maximum you can possibly lift carries the most load which subsequently carries the most risk to you if it goes wrong so two would be a little bit less risk three would be a little bit less and so on so higher on that scale would be probably beneficial um I think I can probably count on one hand the amount of PT clients I've taken to a one rep max in 20 years. Um, yeah. It's very few because do they need it? Do they absolutely need to know what their one rep max is? Or does the ego like to know it, but we don't know it? You, you know, is, is it important? Yeah. Um, with athletes, it potentially is important. But again, I'd look at the sporting needs to figure out, is it really necessary to take this central midfielder to a one rep max? Does this sport rely on that? Okay, so yeah, with by sport, sport to sport, that will change whether potentially you, Stu, will go for a, you know, this person. I still want to know their strength uh, capacity, if you like, or output. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a midfielder, a football midfielder, I might do six rep because it's mm -hmm. more likely to be in tune with a period of time that is more suited for him sprinting or wherever it may yes. be or holding someone off. 
but yes. then we could get into a sport like judo heavily contact orientated heavily yeah. grapple and then i might need to drop the reps somewhat or there might be you know if we're thinking olympically you're thinking about a hammer throw or a javelin yes. or a shot put where it has to be a one rep yeah absolutely and i would also look at the look at the sport and try and match the needs of the sport to the exercises you're testing so let's say right. you're going to go one or two or three rep max probably let's say you, you went judo so let's say um something like that or a wrestling sport things like mma if you're on the ground um jiu-jitsu you know a way to get someone off of you on the ground is forceful hip extension so if you can get your hips and your shoulders off the floor then you're you're likely to get some separation hopefully create some space under you to get away from that person so hmm. a forceful hip extension would be beneficial to know it'd be beneficial to, to strengthen that movement um when it comes to you know to 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 uh, jujitsu so i could test a squat or a deadlift right or a hip thrust for low reps and hopefully beneficially train that person to get them stronger at that movement over time therefore a more forceful hip thrust being the result because their strength has gone up in that movement i can test it over one or two reps and that would be really useful mm. whereas you don't look at you're not physically lifting 150 kilos off the floor when you're doing jiu-jitsu um, it's unlikely you're doing that but mm. in terms of that physical movement great is it beneficial to do that for a shoulder press strict press it probably isn't because maybe there isn't as much of that same shoulder flexion movement within the sport so yeah. I, I would always try and marry that up if i'm going to put you under this tremendous stress in training there should be a reason why i'm doing it um that that has to come first like safety has to come first but that application would be useful like you say the midfielder might hold someone off for three or four seconds that could be three reps you know or it could be you know, you might do two reps because it's it's a little lower on the time frame. Well, they might be pushing around with somebody for a bit longer. Defenders might be a little bit longer, so maybe they don't need to test it to, to the same level. So there's this a lot of this. I think is philosophy as well. You know, yeah. it's how do you feel um, in in terms of your 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 experience enough in the field to say, well, actually, I see merit in one rep max for everybody. And if you can justify it, then that's your philosophy, and and good for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think I think that's really nice. It's a nice kind of thing to get our listeners thinking about is things like the exercise selection, like when you're testing yeah. strength and then therefore when you're training strength, being more specific as far as exercise selection. Um, yes. And I think we can and um, we will go down, I think, a little bit more down that rabbit hole when we start to talk about um, the, the schemes and stuff. But I think yeah. let's let's start talking about those schemes and those strength training programming parameters and stuff like that. Um, let's first talk about the more simplistic stuff, which is sets and frequency. So if okay. we want to help a client and let's maybe bring a couple of examples in um if i want to help a client get stronger what are the sort of rep schemes we've touched on that already and then what's the frequency as well so how many times in a let's talk about it to keep it simple let's look at um look at it in a weekly cycle rather okay. than a 10 day or two week yeah yeah sure so um for me i would always look at, at uh first like 
think about excess selection within this um, and strength is always focused on like, like movement patterns rather than muscle groups that's how I've always tended to, to focus on it so um, I would tend to train if I'm looking at pure strength a um, upper body push and an upper body pull um, regardless of what that is and I'd look at a lower body push and a lower body pull to a degree yeah. so a hinge and a squat movement yeah. um, and I would try and train them all once per week that's how I would typically do it now it, that because I'm working from more way more of a PT like I never trained 30 clients who were all athletes in a week so that yeah. yeah, was PT based so if I'm training someone who's PT based I would look at it that way how do I then put those exercises into their programs once a week I can fit them um, whereas when it comes to like periodization, I would start to think about maybe upping or lowering the frequency. But typically I try and train those movements once a week. So I would squat, I would deadlift, I would maybe, um, if I've bench pressed, I might row, um, yeah. or if I've overhead press, I might uh, like vertically pull. Um, yeah. So I try and keep balance that way. Um, I think it's always nice as well for the nervous system to have balance that way, uh, because it's it shows that you're not developing one movement pattern over another um i think synergistically that's quite quite useful um yeah. so yeah and and the selection of exercises typically would always be um compound lifts uh, something that i could always do with uh, meaning multiple joints multiple muscle groups um so that's that's how i would i would typically focus on it i would do big muscle groups once a week i'd focus on movement patterns so if from one week to the next i might say i really want to focus on the squat and I might do that two or three weeks in a row, but I might also go peripherally in my program. I might chuck in some front squats because maybe my quads are a little bit more dominant than the hamstrings or, you know, whichever way it might be. Or I might do some stiff leg deadlifts as well as once I've finished my main sets of deadlifts, it might be a sumo deadlift or a hex bar. I'll, I'll chuck in some more peripheral stuff to make sure I cover my bases because I don't want I'm not a power lifter. So I don't want to develop just those three movements. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the i guess the it depends on quite how purist you want to be with it if you're just yeah. focused on load on the bar then what's going to give you the biggest load on a bar and if that is a a back squat low bar back squat um or a sumo deadlift or a you know bench press or a whatever then that should be the movement you're trying to focus on but if you're not a power lifter and you you want more developed um uh i guess overall strength and maybe you're looking at a changing your movement patterns slightly um to include more different variations hmm. okay. so i mean i know that's the roundabout way yeah. of doing it but fre frequency i would always look at like once a week for each of those major major dominant movement patterns and in that frequency as well if we think about a daily so you said you know you might do some normal deadlift followed by some more stiff leg deadlift would you yeah. keep then the parameters the same as far as sets and reps how would you then play with that with then and is there an issue? What maybe do we need to think about if all of a sudden I've done five sets of five with the deadlift and then all of a sudden, uh, what what reps should I then do with the stiff leg? And yeah. what's the toss up? Do you get what I'm saying? It's, where I'm coming from? hundred percent. Right? Absolutely get what you're saying. So this is where it gets a little bit more complex, I guess, a bit more complicated. So my my focus and my philosophy has always been um, to to kind of. Uh, check boxes when I'm looking at my training. So if my main focus that day is deadlift, and that's just, so a lower body hinge movement, I'm doing a deadlift and I'm doing five by five. 
then that's my, to me, quotes, that's my workout. That's what yeah. I'm doing. Anything yeah. peripheral to that would then be, um, I, I would look at that as like, that's like the icing on the cake. So I would still stay lower reps, but my checkbox would be, is it safe for me and comfortable for me to do very heavy stiff leg deadlifts? Because now I'm not doing quite so much of a compound movement. Um, it exposes my low back a little bit more. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm using way more hamstring than anything else. So do I want to subject my hamstring alone to that load? Maybe. Um, in that case, I would stick, I, I, you can stick to five by five. That's fine. If we went to the extreme and went, we're doing five sets of one deadlift, I probably yeah. wouldn't do five sets of one um, stiff leg deadlift. Doesn't make no. a lot of sense. I want more volume than that. Um, so in typical, in, in my own training, I've gone, I've, I've checked the box of getting all the heavy stuff done. Um, what I don't want to do is overload my nervous system to the, with everything I do. Yeah. And that's always been my sort of, and this comes with experience, um, both with working with clients and training on your own. It comes with experience to kind of go, if I start to get exhausted and I don't mean like, you know, um, it, it's, it's sore and my muscles are getting stiff yeah. in the gym. I mean, like physically neurally drained, then there's no point in me subjecting myself to even more load. Um, at that point, I'll drop the load and increase the volume slightly. And some of this becomes, you know, manipulation of rest periods and so on. And there's always something gets added, something gets dropped. It's the it's the kind of yin yang of training. If you you can't do super high volume with super high load, um, no. so you, something has to give. So I'll typically go. I've checked the boxes of my big exercises, and now the peripheral ones. Um, I'll, I'll play with, if I feel really good, I might do three sets of five. Um, if I'm starting to feel a bit more tired, I might do three sets of eight or three sets of 10 with a lighter load and just feel the range of motion out and whatever. Um, okay. so there's, there's, um, there's a lot, I think a lot to be said for prioritizing your exercises. And I always do the fire alarm test. So I always look at it and go, if the fire alarm went off right now, 20 minutes into my session, did I still have a good session? Did I still get some work done? So yeah. I front load everything and that's how I tend to do it. It's more priority. Okay. That sounds great. And so, uh, and I just want one more thing I want to touch on, on that kind of rep scheme. And especially when we're talking about a whole session is, uh, is there any detriment to then taking the repetitions high on the higher end, let's say 10 or 12 reps for a stiff leg deadlift. Is that going to then uh, lose some of the effect of the heavy deadlifting mm -hmm. I did. I think it's a question that I get asked quite a lot is, oh, yeah. would you do that in the same session? Would you go from jumping on strength first to then jumping on something a bit more strength endurance second? Yeah, <clears throat> it's quite, it is quite a, a topic. And it's also, it can be really confusing. Um, so for, for me, I would always say, and like I said a minute ago about the yin yang, anytime you yeah. do something that sort of veers off the path, you're diluting your progression. Right. So if I take it again to the kind of to the extreme and say I'm doing five sets of one, if I take the opposite extreme and say, right, I'm gonna do five sets of one bench press, but then I'm gonna finish the session by doing five sets of 25 push-ups, same movement pattern, same muscle groups, but completely different energy systems, completely different. Um uh fiber types and nervous system recruitment and so on then you know for, for anyone not watching the video of this and listening to the podcast i'm making mm -hmm. a shrugging sound a shrugging look right i'm going to yeah. say 
this is what my nervous system looks like. I don't know what you want me to adapt to. So right. they need to be closely related. Um, right. And I think there's a there's enough of an overlap with low level strength, i.e. four to six, and six to eight low level, uh, high level, I guess, hypertrophy. There's enough of an overlap there to have a to have a, some synergy. If okay. you're doing sets of one, then I would say everything else, as long as it's safe in the workout, like you're not going to suffer um, uh, from technique, like I said about the stiff leg deadlifts. Yeah. Then by all means, you know, throw the throw the weight up to maybe you know, reps up to around five or six because you're still within the same training um, outcome. Uh, yeah. You could also look at things a little bit like if you're you might be more time based so how long does a, a maximal one rep take it might take four or five seconds um okay well i don't want to go with my next set over 15 seconds so yeah. you could just go i might get three or four reps of the other exercises i'm doing because then you're still working if you think about um energy systems uh, they all blend into each other to a degree but if you're looking at the high end the cp system will fuel you for that duration and yeah. down right 10 to 15 seconds and lower so you're still working the same um pathways effectively so that again is another consideration but this sort of i guess recent years has thrown in the, in, in the face a little bit of that and made s and c more difficult um because of things like crossfit yeah like how do you then go well i need to train for crossfit so yeah. i need to be able to do this followed by a 5k run so it's like well you know that that's completely polar opposites so the nervous system will be you know shrugging its shoulders and thinking i don't know what to adapt to but maybe it low level adapts to both and you become very successful at that so i think there's never a there's never a true this is the only way to do it in in fitness yeah. especially in strength and conditioning okay and that's good to know because you know someone like myself i i enjoy an obstacle course race and if mm -hmm. i'm doing my 5k one in in october yeah, I, I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, I do need to, I do need to do some strength work because some of like me climbing a rope and me handing my body weight up a rope is strength orientated. And that's going to only take me Absolutely. 10, 15 seconds. But then after doing that and that one physical exertion to get up or get up over a high platform, that's taking yeah. me a couple of seconds of power or strength. But then I've got to get back into the energy system of, legging it for the next 800 meters yes and it's really it's really hard it's a really difficult question to answer so you could i think this is where like um athlete or athlete needs analysis would come in as well so you need to look at that and go you know in terms of your history training history and the things that you do in obstacle races what do you struggle with the most yes right and let's tackle that so if i could with you i might look at you and say you know, I know you've done all of these in the past. I know you've never struggled when it comes to the running. So let's yeah. not worry about that because I know you can manage that. Where are you gonna where are you gonna struggle? It might be with body weight, it might be um effectively what would be a muscle up getting over the wall. It might be those sorts of yeah. movements that are struggling. Um, so let's focus on that. Or equally, you might go, you know, you come in from a powerlifting background, go, I want to get into obstacle course races. Well, okay, I think we probably need to focus more on the on the consistent cardio side because you've never done it. So yes. it's it's looking at the person in front of you as well and kind of thinking what where are they gonna where are they gonna benefit? What's the most important aspect for them? I talked to because the Olympics is on, um, so I, I know that dates this podcast somewhat um, for people listening in the future. But we're looking yes. at the 2020 Olympics, which are actually 2021. Um, yeah. 
and the athletics is starting right now, right? So things like heptathletes, um, I have this conversation with people all the time about like, how, where do you begin with someone who is, you know, like doing hurdles and a 1500 and a whatever, like, where do you begin? Um, I'm not, I can't remember the exact ones they do now. Um, yeah, you yeah, tend to yeah. tune into these events every four years, do, yeah. but it's, it, but, but where do you begin? And to me, I, I think you, you have to look at the needs analysis of the person. And then you also need to look also a, a little bit at the field. So their competitors, like, right. where can I steal points? Right. Yeah. Where do I minimize my losses and maximize my wins? And for one person doing subsequent Olympics, like two Olympics in a row, their training might be completely different because of who they're going to face. If you go, I'm never going to beat that hurdler, but I might be able to struggle to get to fourth, but I will beat them on the, on the endurance events. Then the training needs to be focused on minimizing your losses and maximizing your benefits. Do you oh, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing area that you can spend so much time in. So you much get time lost. in. You Absolutely. can get completely lost. So, so, okay, let's talk about, so let's talk about specifics as far as exercises, right? So, yeah. you know, the, the big things I want to dive into are kind of ranges of motion, um, yeah. positioning as well. And then that kind of, uh, as a whole, that exercise selection. So, where, where do we start? And, and maybe again, we can pick an example to, to work from um, as far as what's the best range of motion for building strength and, and kind of then how do we start to tweak positions to make it more specific to the client? Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, let's start with a squat. Let's look at that. Um, mm -hmm. I've, always, I've always subscribed to uh, the thought process of I want to be able to move my joints and my muscles to their largest range of motion, mm. um, whatever safety wise, whatever I can do with that. Um, and inevitably, I mean, I've, I've got a colleague and, and one of the things he'll often say to me is that load is the biggest thief of range of motion, right? Yes. So the heavier yeah. the weight goes, the, the shorter your range of motion is likely to be, um, which makes it very difficult. So it's range of motion for me will always um, vary depending on phase of training. So there are times if we take a squat um, where I want to go fully towards the ground um, and I know that my load might might suffer a little bit for that. Um, and then I might revisit that in a couple of weeks when I've done some things that are slightly shorter range of motion with heavier weight. Right. So I'll then come back to um, what I, cause I want to personally, I want to be in a squat the whole way down to the floor. Um, provided I can keep a you know a, a low back position that is safe, I want to be able to yeah. do that. Um, so if that's my target, then the, the the result will be how much weight I can lift when I hit the floor, right, and come back up. Yeah. So I'll always try and do that as my benchmark. Um, so when I then shorten the range of motion, increase the load, and maybe put some safety bars out and work towards the safety bars hit those so I know I've achieved that depth or a box squat for argument's sake. So I've hit that depth. Um, the next step will be, be, be me looking at what weight have I just lifted on that? And, you know, what, hopefully I'm, what I'm doing in that period of time for people that don't, don't know this area very well is I'm, I'm allowing my nervous system to adapt to recruiting a lot more of the muscle mass that I have available. So right. um, can I divert into that very quickly? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So in terms of, of, of strength, it's completely different to any other, uh, strength and power are completely different to any other type of, of training methods in terms of they're not necessarily about the local muscles and fatiguing the local muscles. So mm -hmm. what they're about is getting the nervous system to coordinate high level recruitment of type one, type two, a type two B muscle fibers in as quick and as synchronized a fashion as you can in all of the muscles that are currently being asked to work. So if I look at a squat, I've got some synergistic muscles, which we can put to the side of fixator muscles and so on. But the main movers are going to be the quads, glutes and hamstrings. Yep. So ideally, what I want is my brain to recruit as quickly as it can shift, shift through the gears, if you will, from type yep. one to type two, a to type two B in all of those um, those muscle groups as quickly as it possibly can. When it does that, what you've effectively got is um, synchronization. Of your, all of your muscle fibers and motor units so it, the example i would give is if i'm if i'm standing um and i want to get someone's attention right and they're quite a long way away from me and i shout right that's one effort that i've got that's my maximum effort in in this unit which is myself yeah if i then say to you listen we've got to get hold of that person can we both shout on the count of three then now yeah. we're doubly as loud, right? So the more of us I can recruit to shout at the same time, the louder we're gonna be. If we look at that in terms of strength training, the more motor units my brain can recruit on a rapid basis, the, the, the longer, um, the, the higher the peak force is gonna be. Assuming the ones that we got recruited very early on don't peak and fall off. And that's right. the difficulty. So what I've got to do is get me and you used to shouting at the same time, right? In our analogy. So yeah. at the moment, because we're unfamiliar with each other, I'll shout. And then a second later, you'll shout. And then my yell will start to fall off. Right. Yeah. And then yours will st still go. And then it will fall off after mine. In time, in practice, we'll, you'll learn my patterns. I'll learn your patterns. And as soon as I start to shout, you'll shout. And the time between our shouts will be smaller, which means we're going to be louder right cool but we'll both fatigue sooner so that's the trade-off so the yin and yang yeah. is we'll both fatigue sooner so we don't have endurance within our volume here our shouting but we mm. do have um a higher peak output yeah so yeah. in terms of strength and power training um particularly strength training that we're talking about today i'd be looking when it comes to periodization i i'm i've measured myself in terms of doing my squat down to the ground so full range of motion and I've got X weight on my back. Yeah. Now, if I then shorten my range of motion, come down to a box squat or maybe um, come down to safety bars or whatever, and I work on that for a week or two and I'm increasing the weight and I'm doing really well with that um, for a given rep range, it might be two or three or four reps. Um, what I want to do is look at the difference between the weight I did there and the weight I did all the way to the floor. And hopefully, I'm going to start increasing the weight because I've started to synchronize things because because of physically um, lifting more load, the nervous system responds to the fact that I've lifted more load. Um, I should sit, have a better synchronization, which means when I come back to doing my lower range of motion, right, all the way to the floor, I yeah. should be able to lift more weight for that, right, because my nervous system is used to recruiting at a much higher level. So more of the muscle mass that I have is able to um, be called upon very quickly. Uh, because it's been doing that before so that would be that would be my my use of different ranges of motion um, if I just want to feel the weight and be under much more stress I might unrack the bar and come down six inches and come back up with it on a squat 
just because yeah. it's much heavier than I know I can lift for a full rep. But the nervous system is now going, oh my God, I'm under all this load, all this stress. I better recruit, 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 recruit. And then if I put that bar back, lower the weight a little bit, the next weight down feels much easier. Yet it yeah. might represent a much higher load than I've done before. So there's lots of tricks you can play when it comes to the nervous system, but range of motion is a really useful one. Um, yes. And I think it gets vilified in the PT industry because we can look across the gym and go, oh, well, that guy's only coming a quarter of the way down. That's a yeah. waste, right? And we look at it and go, unless you're doing a full range, you're cheating. It's not really cheating. It's He might be doing that for a reason. So yeah. it's... I don't know about you. I've been caught out with that before as well. Saying, Absolutely. oh, by the way, you're doing that wrong. And then someone yeah. said, actually, mate, I'm doing it for this reason. Yeah. You're looking across the room and going, well, that bench press is barely going anywhere. But for that person in particular, and the weight might be quite heavy, yeah. but you're thinking, oh, he could definitely, but he might be doing that for a reason. It might yes. even be that the, the sport requires them not to allow someone close to them so that yes. he, he's therefore decelerating and stopping and trying to therefore accelerate a lot sooner because he might be trying to work on his hand off in rugby. He might yes. be looking at stiff arming in, in American football. Then yeah. why would you why would you then train the body to bring the hand all the way to the chest? Because then you're going to get someone in your face. So yes, hundred percent away from it. So then all of that makes perfect right. sense. It's so interesting because I think that, that early on we can be sort of the gym police and be like, you're doing that wrong, yes. you're doing that wrong. Um, but yeah, all it takes is one person to really humble you on that. Um, yeah, and I've been yeah. there, 100% been there. So um, that's, but that's so true. We have to look yeah. at, the, the, again, the meaning of the sport. What's the sport trying to get us to do? Um, hopefully it wasn't, hopefully people are still with me after going off on a bit of a tangent there. But I think it's useful no, to no, know absolutely. that we're not looking at pumping this muscle up or pumping that muscle up it's getting synergy across the body yeah it's it and I, I think that's really then comes back to i think a little while ago you said about the idea of not working isolating joints or muscle groups yes is because we're not actually trying to physically recruit just one muscle group or at one joint because it doesn't then interact with life or sport Yes, we don't Absolutely we correct. don't use a single joint when we do anything in life. No, no. Absolutely right. And it's it's about how we transfer force from one area of the body to another often. Um, I mean, if yeah. you look at the Olympic yeah. weightlifting, it, it's oh. there, you know, it's phenomenal the weight these people are moving. And it's 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 technique and it's being able to accelerate and decelerate correctly and all, all of these different little attributes that go into it that I guess, again, mere mortals, we just won't understand. Um, yeah. Being able to, I think the catch is probably for me, one of the hardest things to consider is when you're in a fully squatted position, having weight land on you, yeah. stabilize it and then stand up with it. It's just incredible. And, and I don't think that, that we can underestimate the amount of force that is being, being asked, our body's being asked to accept in one go. And that takes a huge amount of recruitment to do that. So it's, it's really, it's phenomenal. It's unreal, isn't it? It's unreal. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, about it there, a bit about being specific with positioning as well, right? So, yes, you know, yeah. um, when we're talking about the bench press, actually that could... So we talk about the bench press and I am talking about a rugby player, let's say, who wants to work on fending people off, keeping people off them. Perhaps they're a winger. And that's part of the attributes that we've decided that they need to work on is taking contact better or trying to fend off contact. 
So we're talking about, okay, so should we bench press? Or is there potentially a way that I can be a little bit more specific to the game of rugby in the position that they might be in, but still express strength? Yeah. Could I'm then start, for me personally, I'm starting to think, what about using like a landmine or renegade system, right? Where we've got one end of the yeah. bar attached to the floor, essentially. And now I've got them standing. So they're, and I've potentially got them in a, they could be in a split stance and mm -hmm. then they're working that pushing motion. We yes. could still load that pretty heavy over time with correct training yeah. protocols and by building through a program over a period of time, I could get them into a position, right? Where then all of a sudden they're going to be, it's more specific as far as position. Now, the question to you is, is that of any use or should I not be worrying too much and not be overthinking that and just be sticking with the bench press? Um, I think to, to in my my thoughts are what is the outcome goal? Are we looking to physically increase the strength in, in terms of load they're moving? If we are, I'd go to the most stable position they could go to, which would be a bench press. But yeah. that wouldn't be something I do right before their season starts. So I would then taper everything into now we've worked on that strength. How much of that can we can we take with us when we go to a sport specific position, i.e. standing? Um, right. Because when we're doing something like a bench press, yes, there's a lot of stiffness in the body. Um, the hips have to be nice and tight against the bench. And, you know, you might use um, your glute activation and so on to make sure that you stay stable in the pelvis. But it's never going to be quite the same as a split stance standing up, right, in terms of yeah. how the body moves in rugby, which has certain elements of rotation and whatever. So for me, I would go, if we're looking at just, just plain overload, I need to think about how much weight I can possibly do standing with a landmine against how much weight I could do in the same muscle groups um, with a bench press and the bench press is likely to always win. Um, yep. So what I would do is I would start there, try and maximally overload it and then start to move that into a more sport specific position as the season approaches. Um, this is where some sports mm. have benefit over others. Uh, a clear off season can really help uh, because yeah. you can go, very generic and then go right down into the very specifics that you need to go into um, ahead of the season. Uh, so that would be my, my, my advice to it. Again, this is philosophy. Um, some people might say, no, I, I, what's the point? You're never laying down or you don't want to be laying down in rugby. So um, why train that way? But it, it's looking at what is the outcome, the desired outcome that I want to get from it. Um, and it might be just, just a basic straight up overload as much as I can have, which might be better in a bench press. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think again, I would tend to go that way and taper down. I think that's a with, with, um, football players, one of the lads I worked with, sorry, go on, go on. No, no, I think, I think that's a really good, I was just gonna say, I think that's a really, um, sensible way of looking at it. You know, we do, mm -hmm. we, I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of that is trying to get too specific too quickly and yeah. too fancy too soon. And because that's the exciting stuff and that's the stuff where they really see the transfer as well. They really, yeah. they feel an automatic transfer because you've got them in a lifelike position, but yeah. it's knowing when to attach that and when to hit that, especially when we're talking, which we're talking about today is being strong. Yeah. And I think the thing is as well, I'd also look at it and go, if you've got two months worth of training ahead of you and you're doing really sport specific positional stuff in week one, where are you going to go now? Right. Yeah. So you've got no like that is the end. That's the end goal is to is to uh, improve that position. 
So if you yeah. you haven't put the groundwork in to improve the strength of that position, um, where do you go? How do you improve it? You need to have yeah. some underlying principles before it. So with footballers that I've worked with, it have been you know beforehand, especially as when one of the boys was was going from the youth teams to the to the men's team to the to the professional uh, leagues, he was training with them, but he was small, seventeen. And he was getting pushed around and he played central midfield. So it, he needed to, he needs to put weight on. Um, so that again, it, it had to, that has to be addressed and to put weight on, is not going to be particularly sport specific. Um, you need to eat more, you need to lift with some of these higher volume approaches and then we'll, we'll taper the whole thing down towards season time. So you are yeah. quick, strong and agile and whatever else you need to be. Um, but at the beginning, what, what, what else do we need to do? And um, there's a yeah. lot of other stuff that goes into it. So that's where periodization is so important. And I think also it, it's important for the athlete's mind to know that there's a plan. Like, why am I doing these basic lifts? There's nothing to do with sport here. I'm not being explosive. I'm not whatever. Well, because it feeds into the next phase and that gives kind of some mental relaxation that, okay, I'm, I'm on the right path. And I think that's really important. Taking that stress away from, from somebody who, who, lives in a very pressurized position all the time um yep. can be really useful yeah okay so how long does it take Stu? how long does it take to get strong, to uh, get strong. i mean i think this is such a broad question but it's one you get asked by clients right yeah how, how long you know would when, it, ta how long would it take <laughs> yeah exactly I'll let you know when right? i get there um it's i tell you it, it's um for me you can start seeing some it's a lot depends on training age um yep. training status so how long have you been training if you are if you're coming to me saying i want to get strong and you're already doing lots of strength training then it's going to take a little while if your yeah barometer of strength is already you're already doing one rep maxes and you're not happy with them it's going to take a little while because we've got to start thinking about what the next stage is if your nervous system is already super primed up and it's really good at recruiting everything you've currently got that means the only way to get you stronger realistically is to give you more right which is maybe yeah. add some weight or whatever yeah so it's going to take a little while um if you're brand new to training you could progress theoretically from an endurance phase for a month to a hypertrophy phase to a month to a strength phase in a month and you'll see significant increase in your overall bar load um within a three-month period um yeah. but we're working off of a very low start position so yeah. it's so relative um to 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 the person that you're working with um but you could again small small increments can can happen within weeks they really can and a lot of that can come down to technique um can come down to intention mindset nutrition recovery um all of these aspects can make you stronger without you physically lifting more weight if you are better recovered in a better mind space um and you're eating well you're likely to be stronger so yeah. you know it, it sometimes it's just little technique tweaks that can make a difference but physically getting the nervous system to progress um it doesn't take that long provided you give it a consistent stimulus if you give it strength training one day a week a 60k bike ride the next day again we're back to the shrug emoji right figuring out right. What, what exactly do you want me to to adapt to so you have to be consistent with your stimulus um, which would be strength training. And as much fun as it sounds, sometimes it can be quite boring because you're sitting there for three or four minutes between sets and yeah. waiting to be ready again. You feel ready, but because you haven't got DOMS and you're not you know, 
been pumped up, but you're not physically ready because the nervous system has to fully kind of disengage to re-engage. It can't just keep going. Um, so you have to have that full recovery between sets. And, you know, that, that takes, to be honest, that takes quite a lot of motivation anyway, just to continually go in. I've done 40 minutes in the gym. I've done six sets or seven sets with my warm up and cool down. It's not that fun at times. So it's important that we, that we stay the course and know why we're doing it. Yeah. Value it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there you go, guys. I, I think we've, we, today we've massively uncovered some of the key features of, of being stronger, um, of, of what strength means to different people. And, and I certainly know that I've taken a lot away from today, Stu. So thank you for that. Uh, you know, it's a pleasure. It's, it's, it's been, my pleasure. It's, been... it's, it's so nice to come on and speak to somebody, um, you, you know, about these topics, because uh, you don't often get to, um, as, a, as a kind of strength and conditioning coach, it's not something, even if you're talking to your athletes, sometimes they'll kind of go, just tell me what to do. I don't yeah. need to know all the ins and outs. I'm not as interested as you are. Um, so it, it is important to, to have these conversations. And I love it. I, it's an area I'm really passionate about. And I appreciate you having me on. No, we appreciate having you on, mate, because it, it is an area that we as a fit pro community, we are interested in. And I think we do need to, we're always evolving. We're always developing and we're also always resetting our standards. And hopefully today our listeners have taken a few things away and maybe they've realigned some of their thought processes around strength. Maybe they picked up a few tips on how to maximize the strength goals of themselves or their clients. Or maybe they've just kind of uncovered and thought, Hmm, I don't, I'm thinking about the wrong thing here. When I'm thinking strength, I need to be, you know, for my clients, I actually need to be thinking for that client more about hypertrophy or endurance. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you've done a really good job today, Stuart, of, um, of kind of uncovering and detailing and defining um, what strength is and, and how we should really be going about it. So thank you very much. So where can we find you, Stu? Uh, so T2 Fitness uh, is my business. Um, so T2 Fitness uh, education on Instagram, uh, T2 Fitness Ed on Twitter and uh, t2fitness.co.uk uh, for quite a kind of course info and whatnot. We're also doing some bits and pieces with FitPro um, around S&C. So there will be some courses being recorded, um, some short courses for CPD points and so on that you guys can jump onto. So I look forward to hopefully hearing from you guys on there. Absolutely amazing. We'll make sure that the links are all up on uh, on this podcast as well, so people can go and discover from more from you guys and more from us. So there you have it, team. There is another Fit Pro podcast uncovering the full force of strength.